Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed hour one, I encourage you to uh, go back and check it out at myfaithradio.com. You can also subscribe to Mornings with Carmen wherever you get your podcasts. And when you do that, you'll also get the show notes for today, which will include all of the links to the articles and conversations, individuals, the people, the books that we talk about here on the program. And so I encourage you to subscribe to the Mornings with Carmen podcast wherever you get it. It's the it's the show and the show notes. So there you go. Um, all right, we ended the last hour um, kind of this with this idea of what would it look like for pro-life Christians to be thinking about um, a theology of creation and procreation coupled together. Like maybe maybe there are some things that we need to take a step back and rethink and think about anew and afresh and again. Um, and I am considering the plight of children around the world in relationship to this conversation because when we talk about procreation, we're talking about, you know, generational reproduction. We're talking about the creation mandate and the procreation mandate. So we're talking about Genesis uh, and then we're talking about like how we steward life upon the earth, generation to generation. Like whose responsibility are the 27 million children in 27 countries who were adversely affected by floods in 2022? I mean, those kids, like they cannot save themselves. Help has to come from the outside. What what does that look like for you and I today? Um, what What does it look like for you and I to have a conversation as Christians? You know, when we have these projections, UNICEF now saying that by 2050, Virtually every child on the planet, some 2 billion kids, will experience frequent heat waves as a part of their life. Well, what does that look like for you and I as responsible Christian adults, stewards of this creation that God has placed within our care and watch care? I mean, what is your theology of creation and procreation? What is your theology of the stewardship of the earth and its people? I mean, I don't know. When was the last time you... You know, sort of sat around and thought about that. Um, obviously, we're going to look at um, the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2, but, you know, maybe we should also be looking at texts of Scripture like, I don't know, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Like, this earth is a is a sacred trust, but so are its people. Like, you and I have a sacred trust handed to us by God. We are stewards of this good creation that he has made and all the people of the world. I mean, again, I mean, the earth is the Lord's, amen, and everything in it, amen. The world and all its people belong to him. What does it look like for you and I to be charged with the care of creation and those procreated, like children, the nature of that stewardship is um is that there is this 
dominion that is obligated of us. It's a directive of creation care and, I think, child care. So what does that look like to worship God, not worship creation, worship God in the way that we care for creation? And again, not worship children, but worship God as we care for children. I'm trying to provoke us to you know, think deeply and maybe differently about, um, about that today. God's creation charge doesn't end with the Garden of Eden or the fall of humanity into sin and into brokenness. I mean, God is seeking to redeem not only people, but all of creation. Paul reminds us that all creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption. I'm thinking here about Romans chapter 8. So I'm just encouraging us to think about our theology of creation, creation care, procreation, child care, what it looks like for that to be holistic. Um, Yes, I do think it is going to require us to think theologically and not politically, theologically and not politically about creation care and child care. I do think that's going to require a shift in our thinking. All right, we're going to talk with Mindy Bells next. She is going to take us around the world uh, using her Globetrot blog. We're going to start in Ukraine and get an update on what is happening there. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Mindy Bells is joining us now. You can find what we're talking about on her Substack, mindybells.substack.com. Mindy, good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Carmen. You had me thinking about um, this passage in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, which reads, Hmm. God shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes among the peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. We don't yet live in that day. Um, you, were, um, you were acknowledging, um, you know, a global recognition or at least a Western Europe and American recognition of a particular day. You're also um, acknowledging um, experiences that we had uh, in the Middle East recently um, and now in Ukraine, can you just walk us around in your global in your globe trot mm-hmm. um, this week? Sure, I think that um, you know obviously the Ukraine war is different from from many most wars that I've covered and that we've we've seen recently. But it does recall, I think, for those of us who spent a lot of time in Iraq, in Syria. Um, and, and saw what happened when the Islamic State terrorist group, if you recall, invaded Iraq in 2014, took over a third of the country. This is a country the United States had occupied and somewhat controlled for 10 years prior. So, so it was a dramatic and, and turnabout. And in the process, you know, it was it was a war against civilians, and that I think is is in many ways. Not a new feature, but a more cruel, a more obvious feature of war that we're seeing now. And so they emptied cities. They forced particularly religious communities, the Christians and the Yazidis, out. And so for those of us who saw and watched that, how devastating it is, how 
almost impossible it is to come back from that, to re-inhabit those cities, to feel secure if you're a family, if you're parents with children, to feel that your children are safe in that city again, even after those ISIS fighters are chased out. That's what comes to mind watching Ukraine, watching just this brutal attack on civilian infrastructure and civilians themselves in Ukraine, that Russia is clearly making their um, pattern of war because they haven't been successful at dislodging the government, at taking out the leadership and destroying Ukraine's military, the things they thought that would be easy for them to do. Um, and so a lot of us have been asking the question, what's happening to the churches? What's happening to the religious institutions? And it is a really important question, Carmen, I think not only for people who are believers like you and me, I think it's an important question for everyone because when religious sites are targeted, there's a reason for that. People have a high trust in their churches, in their synagogues, in their mosques. And it is, it is a, an attacker's attempt to breach trust in society. And that's what we've seen Ukraine doing. I think the archbishop that I spoke to last week of the Orthodox Church of Ukraine, he said it really well. He said there's a, there's a big difference between the churches in Ukraine and the churches in Russia. The churches in Russia, the Orthodox churches, are an organ of the state. Their loyalty is to the state. They they mouth the words of the state. In, in Ukraine, they are organs of the people, of ordinary people, he said. And so when these churches are attacked, they... Um, they, it's an attempt to break the trust that people have had that these are revered institutions and they can no longer trust them. Um, so I think that's a really important preamble to understanding why it's important to do these studies and, and of impact. And we, we have one now that tells us that since February, 270 places of worship have been destroyed uh, or damaged to the point they can't be used in Ukraine. And that with that have come some real atrocities that I think have gone unnoted in a lot of coverage of the war. Priests have been kidnapped. Their wives have been kidnapped. One priest in Kherson, the city that's just been liberated by the Ukrainian um, military, uh, describes, I, I mean, there's a videotape testimony that I've linked to that you can go on and see. And he describes how he was taken into the basement of the church, held, I mean, he goes into detail, and it's 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 really hard to, to watch and listen to um, about how he was abused. And these Russian soldiers tried to rape him. Um, and they were they were wanting him to recant, wanting him to say he didn't support Ukraine, he didn't support the church, he was loyal to my, I, I mean, it was just, um, a real effort to break the the backbone of faithful people in Ukraine and and of again those institutions that Ukrainians trust at a time when they already are suffering so much. We're talking with Mindy Bells. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. Um, there was a song banned for nine months that is now being sung again in Kherson. Um, you've been hearing testimony of the people of Kherson. Um, they have no electricity. They have um, they have no way to heat their homes. They have very little food. They have no access to um, uh, medicine, and yet they are celebrating in the streets because they also have no Russians. And Russians um, destroyed the power lines and the water service on their way out of town. 
but the Russians are gone. Um, and now what um, is being recorded, accounted, uh, and will be, I think, before us for a long period of time were the atrocities committed by the Russians um, while they were there. So we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. One note in Mindy's um, Globetrot this week, the Orthodox Church, Church mm-hmm, the Orthodox Church of Ukraine is going to allow worshipers to celebrate Christmas this year on December the 25th, separating itself from centuries of tradition um, because ordinarily Orthodox churches celebrate Christmas on January the 7th. So that will be an interesting, a very interesting pivot this year to watch as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com and then be assured of our prayers for you in the spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. That is uh, audio of Ukrainians singing in the streets of Kherson, uh, a song that has been forbidden by the Russians since uh, since they arrived some nine months ago. Um, Mindy, let's pivot our attention to some other things today um, in the Globe Trot. And again, we're talking with Mindy Bells. You can find what we're discussing at her Substack, MindyBells.substack.com. She writes the Globe Trot blog there. Um, give us um, give us a little bit of a window into what's happening. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, Congo and Rwanda, Democratic Republic of Congo has had a series of wars, civil wars, and uh, and not so much wars with its neighbors, but clearly they've spilled over uh, over the last years. And now, after we've seen sub some sort of calming of hostilities, there suddenly is a threat of a real widening war that will affect a lot of Africa should it um, kick off. And that's between the Democratic Republic of Congo and Rwanda. Um, M23 rebels have consistently attacked sites in the DRC, cities, uh, towns. And um, now the Congolese leaders say that they have evidence that the government of Rwanda is supporting the M23 rebels. Hard to know from where I sit if that's true or not, but it is the basis for uh, a number of attacks. We saw just over the weekend that the city of Goma uh, had come under attack that that Congolese troops clashed with rebels there. The the thing I think that, you know, kind of connects this to us, like Goma, for instance, has been the site of a lot of humanitarian aid work. A number of U.S.-based and international organizations have cared for refugees and, th- and things like that. And so it, it, and so it's kind of a look, sometimes been something of a haven. It's also a strategic border city, and that's why it's come under attack. But so a lot of work in an area that, y- you know, you highlighted at the top, these problems 
that we're facing in, in a post-pandemic world, um, a world that's becoming a post-pandemic world of, of that affect children. Um, it, you know, some of the issues involving heat, climate issues involving um, supply chains that mean people in this part of the world have a very hard time getting food and medicines. All those things are in places like Goma. And, and so a lot of vulnerable families that live in refugee camps and, and in the surrounding areas. And here we have the possibility of a widening war. I will say one thing that's encouraging because the United States, UN type groups pay, have paid little attention to this war in, in sort of diplomatic and strategic ways. But the African Union and a number of African leaders have really stepped up. And that's very encouraging to see them taking sort of responsibility for their neighbors. And so I, I, you've seen a number of um, former president of Kenya and others traveling to the region and trying to resolve this. And let's hope and pray that they might. And then let's uh, let's give people an update on Ethiopia. We have a war there that has ended. Well, yes, we hope so. I mean, it's been a pretty dramatic thing because it felt like this this war inside this Tigray region of Ethiopia. I, it's hard for me to believe it started two years ago, but time is flying, and um, and it quickly escalated as we fear could happen between um, Rwanda and DRC. This war quickly escalated, and it, you know, I, I think you and I may have even talked about a Sunday where 800 people were massacred in one town outside a church and these dead bodies were found just a vicious, vicious, violent uh, conflict that arose. And again, you had the Eritrean troops supporting Ethiopian troops. And that meant that the Tigray rebels rose up to defend their homeland. And, and it's a very strategic region again. So Again, uh, mostly an African-led, although the United States did play a role in, in bringing some of these parties to the table, and they have ceased hostilities. We have what I would call a ceasefire in, in play, and hopefully it can become a permanent end to this conflict. I think one thing that is a hitch in it is that there's not a mediating force on the ground there right now. And um, that's something that, you know, we've seen this in Haiti. We've seen this other places. We just don't have countries that are willing to step up and send armed troops to sort of uh, ensure the peace. And that's a very different uh, role than, um, than active, actively being involved in war fighting. Um, but it just has become a very fraught thing for peacekeeping troops to be sent by the United States, the U.N., uh, NATO, other groups, and and it seems like it's really going to be needed in some of these conflicts. But we'll see. Maybe maybe they are uh, will end the fighting on their own. All right, and then I um, I loved uh, this very brief story from Turkey that you included in the Globe Trop this mm -hmm. week. Can you give us the testimony of the Turamans? Yes, it's a fascinating story uh, to a doctor and, and his sister, 86-year-old doctor, Dikran Torman, and his uh, sister, Artem, who's a pharmacist. These are survivors of uh, those of us who recall our Middle Eastern history, the Armenian Holocaust, which took place more than 100 years ago. Um, Two million Christians were, were killed, primarily Armenians, but also Assyrian Christians by the Ottoman, the, the Turks ruling the Ottoman Empire. Um, these 
our grandchildren of people who were slaughtered. And, and gradually, most of these Armenian areas, I've traveled through many of them, are empty of Armenians now because most Armenians fled to places like Iraq, to, um, to Syria, other places. The, the United States has a larger Armenian population than Turkey does at this point. So that tells you kind of the lay of the land. These two stayed and they have taken care of their neighbors for a lifetime. And um, uh, they, uh, Dr. Torman died and his sister died just about 24, 36 hours later, mm. uh, both in their 80s. They traveled on donkeys to serve what was a Muslim population that moved into this area after the Holocaust 100 years ago. And what's really beautiful is that the Muslim population um, carried out their funeral, took care of their burial, held a ceremony at the local mosque to celebrate them. And, and the reports that came in from locals there said that they buried them in tears. And it just is a real picture of, um, of these two remaining Christians. And there are no more Armenians in this village anymore. They were the last two, but they continue to stay and to serve to love their neighbors. It is an incredible testimony. Thank you so much for sharing it. That's just a sample of what you'll get um, on the Globetrot, which you can find on Mindy Bell's Substack. All the links will be in today's show notes, but you can connect with Mindy directly on Twitter at Mindy Bells, B-E-L-Z. Mindy, as always, thank you so much. Great to be with you, Carmen. Likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Let's take a break for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. Hope Peterson has joined us on a prior occasion to talk about her own story as a foster care survivor. She's a national speaker. She's the founder of Survivors Thriving and Writing. Um, She's also engaged at BelovedInitiative.org. When you think about your own story and you think about the, um, the things that you have survived and how you thrive and how you now encourage others to thrive, I thought it would be good to circle back around um, with Tori and and talk about um, National Adoption Awareness Month. It is November, and so we're going to talk about adoption. We're going to talk about who's available to be adopted. We're going to talk about the challenges of adopting children available right now through foster care. A couple hundred thousand of them in the United States of America who are in foster care who are adoption eligible. You have a heart for that? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're going to talk today with Tori Hope Peterson. You will remember her book is Fostered, One Woman's Powerful Story of Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care. You can uh, go back and listen to that conversation that we had in early September in our archives at MyFaithRadio.com. Tori, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me again. So we know that there are hundreds of thousands of kids who are adoption eligible, um, who are currently in foster care in the United States. But there are um, millions of people um, who 
who never experienced adoption in the way that we talk about it in the culture. Um, and can you help us talk about spiritual adoption and the reality of being adopted um, into the family of God, um, regardless of sort of our status as uh, members of a of a of a maybe traditional intact family here? Yeah, I mean, if you know, if we are, if we come to the Lord, we are adopted as His sons and daughters, and we have a new name. Um, so if we look at scripture, you know, almost every story is about adoption. It's about God adopting us as his children. So you're, you know, you're passionate about foster care, um, foster care reform and, you know, adoption advocacy. Can you just talk with us a little bit about what's going on now and things that you would like to see um, happen in the future? Yeah, the foster care system is, there's, there's so many, so much nuance in, you know, what needs changed. But I think, you know, a, a huge struggle in the system is that people go in uh, to the foster care system to adopt, um, maybe to fill a need, to fill a hope that they have for their own family, whether they struggle with infertility um, or they want their family to be bigger and they can't make that possible biologically for some reason, they enter the foster care system because um, adopting outside of the foster care system can be very expensive. Um, 20000 50000 sometimes even $100,000, depending on what agency you're going through. If you adopt through the foster care system, adoption is free and you actually get a stipend for fostering. And so there's a lot of incentive of entering into the foster care system for that reason. But when we enter the foster care system with our own hopes to fill our own needs, we can often end up hurt because uh, the foster care system is just so unpredictable in the sense that, you know, one of its roles is to reunite biological families, um, whether that's um, a, a child with their biological parent or whether that's a child with a kinship family. And so when we have these great expectations and we go in with our own needs being fulfilled, wanting to be fulfilled, then we don't actually get to step in and do what, do what I, I feel we should do, which is um, fill the deed that is in foster care. Um, and when we go in, say, wanting to adopt a baby, there's a lot of barriers with that because a lot of the kids that are waiting in the foster care system, if you say you go to Adopt Us Kids or America's Kids Belong, um, those, those organizations that are going to show you the pictures and the videos of the kids waiting, a lot of them are older and a lot of them are sibling sets. Um, and that, that's why they're waiting because people have, have this yearning to adopt babies, um, but actually there are parents and when it comes to adopting babies, there are a lot of parents waiting. When it comes to adopting teenagers, older youth, there's a lot of kids waiting. Give us those, um, give us those websites again. Um, one of them is America's Kids Belong. I think it's .org. I'm sorry. I don't know if they're .org or .com. No, that's com, okay. But they're both, that's okay. They're both not America's profits, Kids so would, Belong. So I would believe that they're both .org because they're both nonprofits. And then the other one is Adopt Us Kids. Um, So America's Kids Belong is so awesome because what they do is they allow uh, these youth uh, to to make videos of themselves. And that's really powerful because every kid, when they go into the foster care system, they get a file 
and it follows them around everywhere and it speaks about the worst things they've ever done and the worst things that have mm. ever been done to them and the only thing like the only thing that that compares to is like a, a criminal file and so we're putting this terrible mm. weight on in which they have to carry this file around and they go to a new home but they don't ever actually get to truly start over and what what this video does is it just it allows kids to really show their personality for who they are and um they they get to present themselves the way that they want to be shown to these families and they're really just asking like in in telling people like i i would really like to be adopted will you adopt me Mm. All right. So um, while we're talking with Tori Hope Peterson, let me just tell you, I'm now clicking around on americaskidsbelong.org and adoptuskids.org. One of the things you can find easily at Adopt Us Kids um, is a state-specific guideline list. Um, And so you're going to need that depending on where you are, uh, where you're living and how you might explore that in your own state, you know, the requirements in the state that I live might be different than the requirements in the state where you live um, and who's available to be adopted and how that all works. Um, Again, we're focusing on this because this is National Adoption Awareness Month. We're talking with Tori Hope Peterson. You can connect with Tori online at her website and through there to all of her socials. Tori is T-O-R-I and then Hope Peterson, all spelled in the common way. ToriHopePeterson.com. She is the author of Fostered. We've discussed that earlier here on Mornings with Carmen, and you can find that in our archive at MyFaithRadio.com. Talk with us, Tori, about um, your experience. I mean, again, this is, I I appreciate in your book how you say this, because every person's experience is so totally unique. And so I'm going to invite you to tell us a little bit about your foster care experience. um, And maybe... As you were growing up in foster care, like what are what are the heart hopes of you know of twelve year old Tori of fourteen year old Tori? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, when I went, I went to the foster care for the second time as an adolescent. So I was like twelve, thirteen, and I really thought that. I mean, I thought I was like entering a fairy tale. Honestly, I thought that this was going to be an opportunity for me and my sister who's nine and a half years younger than me to escape the abuse and we were going to have a family that loved us and that was normal but within a month of being in that first foster home together we were separated and I moved throughout 12 homes total through my entire foster care experience and so of course I in the foster care system didn't get that family that I'd always hoped for but I was I was moving from home to home I would try and like fit, you know, fit the mold. I wanted to be accepted. I really wanted to stay like with a family for one reason or another. It didn't work out whether it was my fault and not following rules or um, whether it was just not a good fit with the foster family. But it was very hard because I just felt like I was disposable, like no one wanted me. And I... I guess I had to kind of navigate and accept um, by the time I emancipated when I was 18 that I wasn't going to be a part of a family. Like if I went to college, I wasn't going to have a place to come back to for the holidays. And so by the time I was 18, I just accepted that, 
but I, I emancipated out of the foster care system, like 20% of kids who've experienced the foster care system. I was instantly homeless the day I turned 18. But my track coach, he welcomed me into his family and he said, like, our family wants you to be a part of it. And I started living with him and we just, you know, built our relationship and he became like this father figure that I always wanted and prayed for. I really reflected that, that I guess, relationship of a heavenly father and how our heavenly father adopts us. And so we started to look into adult adoption because it was really like, this is my family. But mm-hmm. adult adoption was so expensive. Like um, it was about three thousand to five thousand dollars, and that was just it, that was expensive for us at the time. Uh, my dad is a factory worker, and I had just graduated high school, and so we were like, okay, this isn't something that we're going to be able to do. But then we instead looked into a name change to have my last name be their family last name. And it was like a hundred dollars. So that's what we did. We changed my, my last name to their family last name. And then people would come up to us. And I think the difficult part um, in all of this was the things that people would assume. Um, you know, it was one of the purest relationships I'd ever had. And people would uh, just assume the worst. And mm. um, I think that there was so much, it was really hard, um, how we had to navigate like this adoption that we felt was so real. Um, but everyone else almost like, even though it was so beautiful, everyone else questioned it. And of course now there's, you know, time has passed and now people, they see our story as beautiful. That's why I'm here on this, on this radio show to talk about it. And I'm really thankful for that. But the first few years, it was um, a challenging thing to to navigate together. We're talking with Tori Hope Peterson. We're talking about her own story. We're also, you know, sort of casting from her story into the realities that many, many other kids are living in right now across the United States of America. This is National Adoption Awareness Month. Um, more with Tori Hope Peterson and her book, Fostered, in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Tori Hope Peterson. She is, among other things, the author of Fostered, One Woman's Powerful Story of Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care. I want to read from Chapter 16 um, because it's, uh, it's one of my favorites and it introduces us to Gigi. Mm-hmm. At, the human, at the Human Services Office, the police officer took off my handcuffs and helped me transfer my belongings from his vehicle to the caseworker's. Um, At the top of one of my crates was a bag of white sand. 
the officer's voice boomed. What is this? Um, Tori, how old are you at this point in um, in the story? So I think I'm either 16 or 17. Yeah. Okay. So um, I like your answer. Cocaine, I said plainly. <laughs> Would you like to snort it together? Sounds very sassy. Um, he looked up at me. I hope you're joking. And then you said, it's sand. I used it for an art project. I paused and watched him take some sand out of the bag, press it between his fingers. I'm not a criminal. That's Those are your words. But I was used to being criminalized at this point. After packing my belongings into a different car, I sat for a while in the human services office while my caseworker tried to find a home for me. Gigi was a stout woman with spiked blonde hair and too many cats. She briefly mm-hmm. mentioned um, the county certified her as a foster parent that evening uh, just so I could move in with her, though she hadn't actually completed her training hours. Dinner was ready at the table by the time I arrived, and the two of us sat as her cats circled our ankles. Anyone else here, I asked? Nope, just the cats, Gigi said. So I'm your first foster child? <laughs> yep. Well, I'll be the easiest foster child you've ever had. Um, so Gigi is a nursing student at this point in the story. She's also um, a Christian, and that was um, that was different for you. Can you just talk with us a little bit about Gigi's influence in your life? Yeah, I would say there were many influences in my life of people who were Christian at this point. I had my track coach. I had a woman in my life named Tanya who was like a mentor to me, but she was kind of in and out of my life because human services um, just had like weird, weird rules, I think, because my mom was a bit jealous of her. And so my mom didn't want me to have contact with her. And then my 11th foster family, they proclaimed the name of Jesus. They were Christian. We went to church every Sunday. Um, but there was just a lot of confusion there because they abused their kids behind closed doors. So I went to Gigi's and I was like very far from God, like didn't want anything to do with him just because the 11th foster home, I was like, they, you know, I just, I felt like almost like Christianity was this mask that people put on, uh, to cover up just the worst parts of themselves. Like everyone already knew the worst parts of me. Like it was all written in a file. It followed me everywhere. So I just wanted people to like actually know me and love me for the worst parts of me. I didn't need to cover anything up. So just was like, I don't want that Christianity mask thing that people are doing. And then Gigi, like, she was just awesome. She was so real, proclaimed the name of Jesus. She's really sacrificial, consistent, loving, kind. And it just made me really curious about, like, the character of Jesus all over again and who he was. And then she was taking me to this church where almost everyone in leadership had adopted or was involved in foster care, whether that was having children in their home or whether that was being a part of a nonprofit ministry that the church had started. And so I was just like, maybe like these church people actually do care about kids like me. And if these church people actually care about kids like me, then maybe Jesus actually cares about me. And so I just started to ask all these questions. And like, I I asked really hard questions about God. Like, why, why do we endure suffering? And like, why didn't he give me a dad? And I would go to church like every Sunday and every very poignant question I would have, he would answer. And so I just knew like, okay, this is not a coincidence. This Jesus man, like he's after me. And um, through that, through the love of all these people and through him just continuing to pursue me, I accepted him into my life. For which I'm so grateful. Um, And I just, I mean, again, thank you for being 
so transparent, so honest. Um, I, you know, the joy of the Lord is clearly evident in you. Um, we've talked mm-hmm. a little bit about your about your family. Maybe talk with us. Um, you know, we're approaching Thanksgiving. We're ap- approaching Christmas. What are some things that you and your husband, because you have a very unique family as well, like talk with <laughs> us a little bit about um, about maybe kind of what you're looking forward to in these upcoming uh, weeks. Yeah, well, that's so sweet that you asked. Um, so my husband and I have two biological children, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, I have my biological sister, the one that I was once separated from. She now lives with me and my family full-time. And then my husband and I adopted a young man who is now an adult, and he lives in Dallas, Texas. So um, I live in Ohio, and so we're excited for him to come and visit and celebrate with us. And we're excited to, I have had a very busy season. What my full-time job is, is um, speaking, and I have to travel a lot for that, and so We have planned uh, as a family to go just to a little Airbnb and uh, just turn all the phones off, all the computers off, which we're on often and we're doing no travel. We're just bunkering down and we're going to be with one another. Um, In our family, I I love traditions. We put up the Christmas tree um, on our first snow or November 1st. So this year Mm. it was November 1st and research shows that those who put up their Christmas decorations early are happier. And so we just hold on to that. We love that. (laughs) That's like, people are like, you already have your Christmas tree. We're like, yes. And we're happier because of it. (laughs) Lean into some of those fun traditions that we have um, and kind of take a season of, of rest after this very busy season of flying and traveling and speaking. I love it. Hey, can we, um, can we offer up a prayer for you? I would love that. Thank you. Father, thank you so much for my sweet sister, Tori. Um, thank you for the way you have knit her into yourself and us together as a family of faith. Thank you for her sweet family. We ask uh, your hedge of protection around them. Um, your travel mercies upon her as she does this good work. We thank you for the way you're going to draw her family together in this holiday season. And Father, we thank you that to you is all the glory and honor and praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Carmen, thank you so much. It was so good to connect with you again. It's just a delight. You guys can find um, Tori Hope Peterson online, ToriHopePeterson.com. Also going to encourage you to check out, if you are um, a survivor and you want um, help writing your story, check out what they're doing at BelovedInitiative.org, BelovedInitiative.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. Hey, I appreciate um, all of the uh, ideas and links you're sending me today uh, on the text line. Again, remember, you can text me anything, 877-933-2484. Thank you to the person who sent me the link to check out on Creation Care. Appreciate that. And I'm going to do that. Um, Hey, today, let's be um, eyes open, hearts open, hands open people. Let's be 
praying for um, God to send forth all the resources necessary for the accomplishing of his will in and through us. So have open hands when you're praying for that. Like, right, let me receive all the things that God wants to pour into my life, that those things might be extended through me into the lives of others that, yeah, that my light might shine, but that they might see him, right? Could you be a conduit of God's grace and blessing today? Yeah, you can. Absolutely. So let's have open hands and open hearts and open minds to the things that God wants to do in and through us this day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.